All right, well, I encourage you to grab your Bibles, grab your Bibles and start turning to James chapter 5. Now, if you need a Bible or you need a, a bulletin, uh, that bulletin will be helpful for you. It's got a place for notes on the back. Just raise your hand. One of the ushers there who are coming down the aisles will be happy to supply you with either of, of those. So be turning to, to James chapter 5. Now, uh, yes, I'm one of the other bald guys here this morning, okay? Pastor Josh is serving one of our sister churches in Kansas City this morning, so you can be uh, thinking of praying for, for him as well as uh, that flock there is fed, and we will uh, we'll trust the Lord to, to meet us in, in this place as, as uh, he's, he's serving elsewhere. And so as you're getting your... Uh, Bibles and, and uh, your bulletin situated there, you, you notice on the, uh, the title slide here, and you see on the top of your bulletin the, the title, Blessed Steadfastness. Blessed Steadfastness. Now, that word steadfastness is one that you probably don't use every day, right? You don't talk about uh, being steadfast and just use it in all of your casual conversations. But at the same time, it's, it's a word that you probably are familiar with enough to have a sense of what we're driving at when we talk about being steadfast. It's this picture of, of endurance to the, the end, of, of holding on well to the, the finish line. This is the picture of steadfastness. It's got good connotations probably, in our minds as we think about that. A steadfastness is something that you want to root for, right? I want to be steadfast. I, I see that as a, as a good thing and what I understand of this, and, and hopefully even more so this morning as we look at how that's portrayed in God's Word. But this picture of, of steadfastness, what came to mind for me initially was a, a very old cartoon image, actually. It's a cartoon image that I think I first saw as a kid on a t-shirt. And it's, it's this picture of a stork or a, a heron, and it is swallowing a frog head first. Okay, so it looks like doom for the frog, right? But what's also taking place in the picture is that the frog, though its head is in the mouth, got its hands down around the neck, of the stork at the same time, and then there's the caption underneath, never, ever give up. There's a picture of steadfastness for us this morning. Now, I don't know where we find you, if you're a little bit more like the frog just trying not to be eaten, or the stork who just wants an honest meal, okay? But either way, a picture of steadfastness for us. And so all cartoon images aside, we're going to see this morning, and I'm going to hopefully help us to see in, in stretching things out a bit throughout the letter, that, that James, he likes this language of steadfastness. It's one that he uses in his letter to, to help us understand how we, we really do this thing of practically living out our faith, because James is super practical as well. You might remember from a couple years ago, we looked at this small letter and we, we entered in and right away we're confronted with some of this steadfastness language. I, I think that's the, the frame that we're to look through 
as we do all of the practical living out of our faith things, this idea of a framework of, of steadfastness that we're to have in our minds. So let's just take a quick look at this. You're probably already in James 5, right? But if you just turn back a page or scroll up just a bit, you can see James chapter 1 and, and look at how he enters into things for us starting in verse 2. Chapter 1, verse 2 he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And then just several verses down, verse 12 we read again, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. And so we're kind of seeing this wedding between the, the, the blessing of, of the Lord and the perfecting work that he's doing and, and steadfastness that we are called to. You look even several more verses down. If you, if you look in verse 25, it's not the exact same word, but a similar one, same idea, 125 says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, steadfast, he perseveres being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, again, he will be blessed in his doing. So, so James is setting the tone for us here of steadfastness and God's blessing on that type of a Life. And then that brings us then right into more towards the end of the letter in chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 11, just one verse that's our main text this morning. 5.11, we read, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness, he really likes it, the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So here's that picture of steadfastness for us that is not, by any stretch, the first time that James has been wanting us to think about it. Steadfastness, he's calling us to. Now, you noticed in this verse that it's not just some general steadfastness, but he drills in on one specific character here, the character of Job. We read that Job's steadfastness is what's in view. Job's steadfastness. Now, if you know anything about the account of Job, you know that's different level of steadfastness that's called for. Maybe you're a little rusty on the details of Job. That's okay. We're going to talk about some of them here in a little bit in the message, but then also through this summer, we're going to be camped out with Job. But, but Job takes steadfastness to a whole new level to where as we look at him, at least I know for myself, it's like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready for that level of call on my life into steadfastness. My goodness. My goodness. Job's going to be the example that we need to see here. Not sure if I'm ready to dive into that. But again, more on that, more on that soon. But first, let's just look bit by bit at this verse, chapter 5, verse 11. I think what we're t 
to take away right away is that there should be an appreciation here. Appreciate the blessedness of steadfastness is what James wants us to do. Did you see that there? The first sentence of the verse, Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfastness or remain steadfast. We consider them blessed. Now, it says those people. Well, who's the those we should be asking ourselves? James didn't just arrive here without giving us any context. He actually has a couple of examples for us to look at before we even get to the really specific one of Job. Let your eyes turn up to verse 7, the top of that paragraph. Uh, he says here, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord... See how the farmer, here's our first example, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains, and then the call on us, you also be patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So first example, the farmer he gives to us. And then a little bit further down, you can jump to Verse 10, right before the verse at hand for us this morning, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take, he says, the prophets. Next example, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So these prophets that we could read about that proclaimed God's name and yet endured much suffering as they held out the truth of the Lord. So the examples that we have here, the things that are meant to help us appreciate the blessedness of steadfastness, he says first, be like the farmer. Be like the farmer. And what do we hear about the farmer here? We hear that he has to be patient. We hear that he has to be dependent upon the Lord because what has to come for there to be any fruit from his labor but the rains, the early, the late rains must come and need to come really in right measure in the right amount for the crop to be produced. So be patient, be dependent. Of course, implied in all of that is that he's a worker. What has he done? He has cultivated the ground already, put the seed in the ground so that there can actually be fruit that comes after the rains hit it later. And so here's the farmer, and we see that example. Like, okay, good. I can I can run with that steadfastness of a farmer, agrarian society, you know, kind of, kind of a, a, a little bit of a pretty scene even that I can picture. I mean, you know, the hardworking farmer, he's going to remain steadfast. The prophets may be up another level for us, right? The prophets, we read about them, and maybe you recall ones like Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah, life not so easy for him, you know, thrown in muddy wells, left for dead, basically had maybe his scribe who followed Jeremiah's teachings, but everybody else pretty much out to, to get him. But, but we're not even told here in James to look at that specific one, but just the prophets. And we might say, okay, God's men proclaiming God's word. All right, yeah, I want to be steadfast like that. So th this, is, this is where we're at in, in coming into verse 11, and we see these things, and perhaps already we can say, okay, yeah, I felt some of this. I've, I've felt the call of patience on my life and a kind of endurance that I'm to, to have. I, I think I can relate to feeling what they've felt. And you, you know if you've traversed through some trials, maybe like a, maybe like a farmer who had his time of, of waiting, that 
It's not just that God is absent in those times, but you've gotten to see Him work. He's stretching you in some ways, and, and yet His hand is in the, the middle of the, the trial as He's at work on, in your heart. James, I think, has that in mind. If you were maybe skimming through as we looked really quickly at the paragraph, maybe you, maybe you stumbled over verse 9 there where he says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. What does James understand here? That in the midst of trouble, trial, suffering, what do we tend to do with one another? We get irritable. We grumble against one another. Things aren't going quite the way that we would like them to. But what, what, do we, what do we understand from that? That God is not absent in those times. We're to have a, a consciousness of the judge is standing right at the door. The Lord is coming back. There's both a, a comfort and a warning and all of that. And we say, okay, God, there's a work to do in my heart in this time of, of waiting as I'm tempted to maybe grumble against my brothers and sisters, maybe more personally against my family in my home. Grumbling can can take hold. God wants to do his work. When it's, when it's dry, like when the farmers experience, when it's, when it's wet, when there's good things coming, but just the right amount, you know, not so much that it washes everything away. Maybe when there's just total nothingness and you're in that time of, of waiting. All of us, in a sense, in the waiting, walking through the, the trials that God has for us in this season of life. See, good illustrations like this and many more that we could point to, other historical accounts, don't they, don't they help to bring clarity for us? As, as we recall stories and we see this, this stretched out picture, even of a farmer over the course of one season, it's like, oh yeah, this is the way things work and it's not all just about that middle time, but God does meet. The farm meets me. It's not just the waiting that's there. That's not the only thing that we're left with. It, these stories that we get to read about where we get to see the whole account, what does that help but just bring clarity and right motivation to where we can say, yes, seeing the end, oh, I want to remain steadfast as well. God, help me to be steadfast. A more recent example that, uh, that I got to see several years ago, I, I got to visit the home of a, a man, his, his name was uh, Dr. Robert Smith. Dr. Robert Smith was a medical doctor, um, but he was also a highly influential person for a season in the biblical counseling community. And so Dr. Smith was, uh, was faithful in his, his church and in speaking at, at uh, different conferences. We might even have one or two of his, his uh, books, his pamphlets for biblical counseling here uh, within these walls. God was using him in that, and, and uh, I, I got to, to meet him in his home and just really counted him a, a faithful, happy husband, but I, I emphasize the husband part because when I met Dr. Smith, he was already encountering some great trial in his life. See, a man of, of influence, used of the, the Lord in multiple spheres of, of life, but his wife began developing some forms of dementia. And Dr. Smith had a choice to make. Where's his main ministry going to be located? And God called him to make her his primary ministry. 
And so this, this man who had the ear of many needed the hand of his wife to hold through her last year. She passed away in 2017, and he, just last year, they were married for 63 years. Faithful years with re- real trial, though, at the end. A picture of steadfastness, not ease, but God's hand at work through a faithful man. And that, that's motivating to me uh, as well. You know, about a, not even a, uh, a third of the way through in my own marriage where Dr. Smith was with his by the time of, of their death. Motivating, motivating to be steadfast, faithful to the end, a call on our lives. But here we are today, right now, maybe more trials, maybe less, depending on where we're meeting one another this morning, but still makes us ask the question, right, what would God have you faithful and steadfast in right now? Well, what's He calling you to to walk with eyes on on Him according to the the word of faithfulness that He has given to us and His, His word walking as as those who are seeking to endure to the end with our eyes, not on our troubles, but on our Lord. What is that for you right now? What's He also accomplishing in you in the middle of the difficulty, whatever that might be? And you think about your different contexts of maybe work or, or schooling or family relationships sometimes that take, my goodness, so much endurance. And I think sometimes we, we tend to, to quit or to compromise far too easily. And we need these accounts of steadfastness along the way that, that we might better appreciate the blessed nature of steadfastness as it's presented to us in the Scriptures, this call from the Lord on our lives. And so, Those are good examples to to think about, but really our primary example at hand, like we said, is going to come from the life of Job. Secondly, we're to to learn from the steadfastness of Job. We are met with his name right in the middle of this verse. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, James tells us. I suppose that begs the question, we'll have Have we heard of the steadfastness of of Job? Maybe it's a new story to us, or maybe it's a a little bit rusty for us. Uh, Again, we're going to be here all summer, and so we'll get to to travel through with Job and take some time to to really chew on the account of of his life. But, But James is assuming that his probably mostly Jewish readers already knew the story. So let's catch up to him a little bit here, just over the next few minutes anyway, because here's what we see in the life of Job. We're presented with him. He's an Old Testament figure who is prosperous. He is righteous in his walking. He is a faithful man. He's doing good to others. This is the picture of Job. God's smile just seems to be on Job as we look at his life. But then, almost right off the bat, great loss. Great loss for Job. There's a a loss of goods 
all of the, the uh, land that he had, where his cattle were, where his, his, his many uh, goods that, that brought in his wealth year after year, uh, there was destruction on those things and, and thievery that took those things away. Loss of, of goods for Job. Loss of, loss of kids for Job. All of his children wiped out in a single tragic event. Loss of goods, loss of kids, loss of bodily health. Job's skin turned black, boils surfaced everywhere. Job is found sitting next to a trash heap with a pottery shard scraping his sores. Job's health is, is demolished. Loss of goods, kids, bodily health. Loss of support from his wife. He's in this place of great suffering and his wife says, you're still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. What husband wants to hear that? Loss of goods, kids, health of body, support of his wife. Loss of sympathy from his friends. His friends come sit with him for a good while, actually, but then they begin opening their mouths and there is no sympathy for Job. The only category that they have to think about that Job's great suffering is that he is an immense sinner. And the reason that God has brought this suffering upon him is because he has been drastically unfaithful in corners of his life all over the place. And so, repent, Job. Just turn. Just turn. Because obviously, obviously, you have sinned greatly against God. No sympathy from his friends. Loss of that where Job is in this place where really no apparent allies for Job. So much loss taken. See, Job's example for us, for feeling okay so far, the farmer, the prophets come to Job. It's kind of a record scratch and really ought to be because we, we hear of the tragedy in Job's life, the immense difficulty that he faced, unequaled trouble in such a condensed time. We need to, to hear this and, and be called up short to give pause to think about this. And we're told that he is steadfast where that, that should, we should be kind of in awe of, of that ability or that meeting of God in his life in that, that way. Because we're going to see that, that Job, he's wrestling all along the way. It's not just that he's got a big smile on his face as he's scratching his sores and his wife's telling him, why don't you just die? That's not the picture at all. It's an up and down wrestling that we see with Job. And yet, all the while, we can jump in right in the middle where his friends are just giving him so much garbage. Chapter 19, middle of the book, verse 25, here's Job's faith that he's still holding on to. He says, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last He will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh... I shall see God, 
whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, my heart faints within me. Oh, what a meeting with Job there in the middle of his immense pain as he is so wrestling, but still knows God, has not utterly, completely abandoned him, although we, we see his wondering over that at times. He's still got faith in his, his Lord in the midst of his pain. This, there's a reason that James brings up the example of Job for us to take us about as low as we can go to see what it looks like to walk in steadfastness nonetheless. So I think that, I think that we're meant to feel this morning the, the weight of what God has every right to require of us. That's hard to think about, isn't it? That's, that's painful to picture that as God required these things of Job, so He has the right as our Maker to require steadfastness in the midst of immeasurable pain in our lives as well. That's, that's a challenge. Steadfastness amidst unspeakable pain. We've been remembering already our brothers and sisters in Uvalde. We remember them. We don't know what to, to do. We, we, we know to, to pray. We want to see them cared for. We want to see people who are injured have, have healing. We want to see that for all of them. But as we look at an account like this with Job and see the call towards steadfastness, we should pray for all of those things, but we need to pray for steadfastness for those who name the name of Christ there in Uvalde, maybe who have lost children or parents. Pray for their steadfastness that they would hold true to the Lord in the midst of great suffering. Bring it closer to, to home as, as our children are processing things like that and as they are hearing and seeing of, of headlines that make this world just utterly confusing at every turn. Pray for Pray for the steadfastness of our kids that they would hold to Christ, that they would let God's Word be the authority of their lives and not these passing trends of what you're to be for or against or policies that ought or ought not to be enacted. We don't want them to build their lives upon that and be torn a million different directions throughout the course of their, their lives. No, pray for the steadfastness of our children, pray for the steadfastness of our own hearts. We don't know. We, we don't know what God will bring before us to have to walk through. And some of you are walking through great trial, loss, even right now. Pray for your own heart. Oh, that God would hold you steadfast. You know, I, I think about, like I said earlier, sometimes we, we quit or compromise far too Easily, I feel this in my own life. I, I consider myself to have a relatively easy life. I'll joke with Jen sometimes, like, lead a pretty charmed life. And my goodness, I can be torn down so easily. Irritability rising up in my heart over just a, a few inconvenient things that happen for me. I was struggling with that just a couple of days ago, feeling just pretty dismal and discouraged and irritated. And God gave me a wife that doesn't say curse God and die, but instead comes over and says, 
Let me pray with you. That's the, that's the life that God has given to me, and yet I'm prone to that discouragement. So it's, it's not just the immensity of Job's pain that we need to see and be ready to relate to, but for all of us, wherever we are, the frailty of our hearts, right? I mean, even, even this morning, my alarm is just about to go off, and, and I wake up from a crazy dream of losing one of our kids for a few minutes in Walmart. How strange is that? I didn't even go to Walmart this past week, and, and my heart's all turned upside down as I then get up and, and try to pray my way into this sermon. I mean, how frail, how, how frail, how much we need the Lord to lead us into steadfastness. Now, this is important for us to understand here what is really the, the picture of steadfastness because I think what we can be tempted to do is, okay, I'm called to this straight line, perfect trajectory, now into glory, never looking aside or having doubts, never, never being distracted or pulled off course. We can think that, but in reality, we'll see something very different in the account of, of Job, for sure. And what, we'll, what we can understand, really, about steadfastness, if we look at it from a biblical perspective, is it's, it's hardly a perfectly straight line. Job had to receive stern words from the Lord by the end. He, he needed to have a rebuke from God. See, steadfastness isn't perfectionism. Steadfastness isn't a kind of quiet stoicism. That's why we have Psalms like Psalm 13 that Jackie read for us earlier that help us to bring our laments before the Lord, to walk through the challenges in this life. We're going to interact with the Lord in an imperfect way along life's journey. So steadfastness, steadfastness is its, its general trajectory. I don't know how else to say that, but there's going to be weavings of, of in and out and, and, and up and, and down in the strength of our faith at any given time while receiving along the way God's mercy even through the kind of rebukes that Job has to receive from the Lord. That is mercy from God that He would speak into our life when things get shaky to call us into steadfastness. Steadfastness needs to be viewed in light of the unsteadfast times that we'll face in our lives. See, that's where God's mercy, God's compassion, that's where our attention ultimately belongs, on Him and His character. And that's where James has us land the plane in this paragraph, right? We get to see God showcased in steadfastness stories. Did you catch that? Did you catch that at the end of the verse? You've heard, you've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. James says, land there. Have that be your last thought about these steadfastness stories. See, because Job's steadfastness isn't ultimately about Job's heroism. We, we would be reading wrongly the whole book of Job this summer. We would be reading wrongly James' example that he presents right here. We'd be reading it wrongly if we come away with, oh man, Job, he's my hero. He's my hope. 
No, no. Our attention is taken to the Lord and His compassion and mercy. We're meant to learn about God's good purposes and His character, what He is doing in stories of steadfastness. So, really quickly, here's some of the things we're going to see as we study through the book of Job this summer together. Here's some of the things that we'll see. We'll see God's compassion and mercy in correcting Job and really, I think, in a sense, holding him back from apostasy in the moment where Job seems to get super shaky, where it looks like he's really starting to shake his finger at God and really question God's goodness. God steps in and speaks correction to Job and gives him the perspective that he needs, a kind of renewal our, our God who calls us into steadfastness is our perseverance-providing God. We get to see His compassion and mercy at work in that way in the account of, of Job. We'll see as well His compassion and mercy in even using Job to pray for his friends. These lousy friends that Job had at the end of the story God deals with these friends in a compassionate and merciful way by saying, let my faithful servant Job pray for you sorry fellas. <laughs> let him pray for you. And Job, who has received all of their criticism, turns around and in a sense blesses them. We see God's compassion and mercy at work in a profound way there. We'll see his compassion and mercy also put forward in restoring and even multiplying many good gifts in Job's life by the end. We don't get to see that in every story. Sometimes suffering leads us into glory. And things don't turn around to where there's prosperity, but in Job's life, there's a, there's a special gift that we get to see where God restores to Job the life that he had before, and even more. Not, I'm sure, as a replacement. Well, those old kids, they don't matter anymore. Here's some new ones. Not like that, but still God's, God's kindness in providing in such a way. We get to see his compassion and mercy at work in that way. And then we, we'll get to see his compassion and mercy, I hope, I pray, toward us and showing us the big picture of his work as we see the account of Job stretched out before us and learn the character of God. Get to see even things that Job didn't get to see. The, the spiritual war that was taking place behind the scenes as Satan really kind of got permission from God to wreak havoc in Job's life. And we get to see things like that for a, a better understanding then of how to pray and how to endure, how to walk in steadfastness because of God's mercy, God's compassion toward us in showing us an account like Job's seeing his power at work unto the end in this life. You see, the, the good news for us isn't, isn't about Job being a hero. The, the, the good news is not that we can, through our own steadfastness, perfectly please God but that God has compassionately 
mercifully worked for sinners like you, like me. It's his perfectly steadfast unto death redeemer son, Jesus Christ, who is Job's hero, my redeemer. He, he lives. I'm going to see him. And James's hero, the one that he's waiting on, the coming of the Lord is at hand. And the, the hero of, of our hearts as well, if we claim Christ as, as Savior, our returning one whom we'll see one day. That's the good news. That's the good news of, of Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's the picture of God's full compassion and mercy that we'll, we need. See, Job's story gives us occasion to look at our Lord. That's where James is coming from all throughout his letter. We can be steadfast because of that with our eyes on him. That's the call on our lives, not some inner motivation that we'll try to work up enough strength in ourselves. No, no, eyes on our hero, Lord. It's, it's because of, of him that we have hope. So we can be in this place this morning where we're asking, God, God, what am I to understand of, of your purpose today to reveal your compassion and mercy through the trials that I face? God, how do you want to show your purposes at work? You, compassionate and merciful God, working through the trials in my life, how do you want to, to show that, Lord, and reveal your strength, your character as you would cause me to yet hope in you, should leave us saying, Lord, I, I want to see you showcased in my steadfastness story, whatever that needs to look like.